Cofield and Company NFL insider Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk joins us now. Five o'clock hour. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Cofield and Company. Ari steering the ship. Finley Toyota Studios. Football expert. Miles Simmons in – I am going to go off the beaten path, though, Miles. First of all, how are you, buddy? I think he's there. I know he is. Come on, board. Come on. It's like I can hear him in the background. Is that Willie breathing? Yeah, that's me. I will hook up with him in a second. We'll hook up in a second. Uh, baseball. Look at these Japanese. Unbelievable. Trey no, Turner did, went yard. Yeah, Japan just tied it. Um, that sounded like it was derogatory. Now they came back as 1-1, but Trey Turner, who's got 34 home runs in this uh, WBC, not quite the number, got the Americans out to a one nothing start, bottom second. It is now 1-1, bottom two. Are you feeling it? You getting juiced up? You feeling it? Or because you really haven't watched, you're not that fired up? I haven't watched either, so not not accusing you of anything. Uh, I, 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 I'm... Stammering, does he really have, or did you just throw that number out there? No, he's got, I think, six. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Jesus. They haven't played that many games. Yeah, that's but what here, I meant. But the th- yeah. here's the thing. We knew going in, the U.S. lineup was just star-studded. Stop. They're not as great with the pitchers because a lot of the veteran pitchers, the great pitchers, didn't want to throw. But this lineup featuring <laughs> Trey Turner in the nine hole. Nine. And he's yeah. been their best hitter, and I think – by major league salaries, their starting lineup is uh, making $323 million. Yeah, I just saw a funny tweet that's, from that's pretty good. local veteran guy, Matt Jacob, who does some sports betting stuff. He okay. said, and he put a GIF out with just stacks of cash, and they're counting as odds makers now to booking bets on Trey Turner to win the NL MVP. Why? You know, I wonder, what, that, coming in. I wonder what the change in the number has been. Uh, Miles Simmons is with us. Hey, Miles. Hello, guys. Hey, Miles. Nice baseball talk. Are you uh, are you into it or not? Uh, you know what? I've not watched a pitch, uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. How much I of mean, the NCAA tournament did you watch? A lot. Good, um, good. Not as much as I would have, uh, yeah. but I had a friend from college who was in town over the weekend, and I had not seen him in like four or five years. So yeah. did uh, a, a lot of drinking over the weekend and watched some basketball, but caught up and did a lot of fun other things. So, yeah. Fun other thing. So before we get into football talk, um, <laughs> with the libations, do you have any good food stories for us? Uh, I didn't have to send anything back. Um, I did have a, a Bloody Mary that had a crab claw in it at this place down somewhere in Orange County. I don't even really know where we were, but that the it it was a little overrated, you know, because when they give you something like that, you expect it to be a pretty delicious crab cake. And it just wasn't the move. You know, that place also had beignets, which I don't think I've ever seen beignets in California before, but they weren't too bad. But the, the Bloody Mary was a bit of a disappointment, especially, you know, if they get the mix wrong. It's just it's not going to be as good. You're an Ivy League guy. What else do you drink? I love to drink old fashions. I am uh, because of Don Draper and I'm a big Mad Men fan. And yeah, I will say this. This restaurant that I went to on Saturday night uh, in Santa Monica actually had a drink called the Don Draper. It was one of the better old fashions I've had in a while. You know what's hilarious? You did not push back on the like Ivy's are snoots and don't you know, like they won't drink Olympia. (laughs) They won't do a beer funnel like you. you, Come on. You, You know, you can be as low grade as in, not you, but Ivy Ivy League students can be, you know, they, they can get in the muck. 
No, they could, but you know what? I my friends and I uh, did not drink Natty Light because I wouldn't let us drink Natty Light, and you He's know what? I, I just I, I, we we drank uh, the the banquet beer, a lot of Coors. You did? So that was yeah. Oh, that's oh, exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's exciting yeah. from Cobra Kai. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's worked out. It's worked out. Mm-hmm. That deal has worked out well. Ivy League, you weren't the guy. Like you were. Please tell me you weren't the typical guy. Like uh, from uh, Goodwill Hunting. How do you like them apples? No, I no. You're just I, you I'm, know I'm, jumping in conversations and ridiculing people and belittling them. No, I, I I would never do that. That's not the kind of person that I am. Do I know people like that? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but mostly people like that go to Harvard and maybe Princeton. All right. I'm glad you know. I'm glad you took a <laughs> shot at Harvard there and also Princeton. Um, Adam Hill is of the belief that because of the units and the money that's handed out by the NCAA tournament, that we all have to root for all the teams in our conferences. I don't agree with that. If I if I don't like these schools all year long, I'm not going to start rooting for whoever in the Mountain West, San Diego State, or for me in the Big Ten. I'm not rooting for Indiana. I don't care right. about the yeah, money. I- I feel the exact same way. I mean, and it's not that, you know, the Ivy League is going to send people in all the time. Like, it's cool that Princeton's doing well. That's very nice and well and good for them. But, you know, I got no real connection to, to Princeton. Like, what, what, what do I care? Columbia was horrible at basketball this year, except for the women's team, and they were really good. But I think that they lost in the Ivy League championship game, so they didn't even make it. So I, I, got, I got no dog in the fight is basically it. I'll, I'll give you a clunky segue. I'm old and fat. That doesn't mean right. I'm going to root for every old and fat guy. Did Big Ben really talk to the Niners about coming back last year? I, I think that he might have talked to somebody from their personnel department being like, hey, man, are you still in shape? You know? And the answer would obviously have to be no because Ben Roethlisberger hadn't been in shape in 10 years. So I, I remember some player, and I don't even remember who it was, and maybe it might have been anonymous, but they would say, like, if you tackle Tom Brady, you sack him, it's like landing on a sheet of grass or something or like a pillow. <laughs> or, But if you sack Ben Roethlisberger, it's like you're falling on broken glass because yeah. that's how weird his body is. <laughs> I, so... You know, the 49ers were fine without Ben Roethlisberger, and I think that they, in maybe in a dire emergency, they would have turned his way. But, you know, I, I don't know how many serious conversations he had there. I wonder if, if John Lynch and Little Shanny are to the point where they're like, all right, enough. Let's come out and make a statement that we weren't that desperate that we were taking calls from Big Ben and <laughs> Phil Rivers. I wonder if, well, you know what? They'll be at the uh, NFL League meeting next week, so maybe they'll get asked about it. Maybe I'll ask them about it if I get the chance. By the way, speaking of that, at the League meeting or whenever it's going to go down, is Roger Goodell going to get like 60 mil a year? Uh, I don't know that they will say that publicly. I mean, he already does, right? The the New York Times reported that. I I would be surprised if he's not making substantially more than that. By substantially, I mean like 65, upwards of 70. He earns it. These owners have made so much money since uh, Roger Goodell has taken over as commissioner. He has done nothing but make the league bigger and bigger and bigger. They have more games now. They have more playoff teams. There's more revenue. I mean, they've gotten exorbitant TV contracts. So there is good reason for the owners to want Roger Goodell to continue in that position. He does really, really well to to be a pincushion, take all the criticism from all those folks on the outside, like me and everybody else. Um, And like I said, he's just made them a boatload of money. So I, I, he has earned every penny from those owners that they pay him that, that he's gotten and he will continue to earn it. So there's all of that. There was all good reasoning, but then there's also everything that he knows. 
right? This is almost right. It's his salary, and you know, let's slide him a few uh, tens of millions extra, guys. Like I, I wonder what <laughs> conversation. Like if Roger Goodell wanted to be just an absolute jerk to Jerry Jones, couldn't he go to him and be like, "Really, you wanted to oust me a couple of years ago, huh?" Yeah, he after could the way like you beha- you behave, <laughs> right? And and I don't say anything. You wanted to oust me, huh? Okay. Well, I mean, look, and then he didn't because he never would have gotten enough support for that yeah. ever because the rest of the owners understand exactly what I was just saying, how yeah. much money he has made them, how he takes the blows of criticism. You know, a lot of these things that the NFL as a league as a whole gets criticized for, like the, the hiring practices of coaches, Roger Goodell does not have anything to do with that. And there is only so much that he can do. Now, I think he's also taken some criticism, particularly from uh, Jim Trotter of NFL Media, for the hiring practices within uh, the NFL media itself, right? And, and I think that that's fair, especially when he's like, I don't, I don't really run that. It's like, yeah, you do, dude. You're in charge of the entire <laughs> NFL, so those things fall under your purview, whether you want to say it or not. But like I said, with hiring practices and of the teams right that's something that he doesn't really control and yet he is still kind of the face of that criticism and i don't necessarily know if it's fair but that's what he gets paid for miles a simmons up on twitter miles is with us from pro football talk so let's make the segue you know if goodell's got all the info on uh where all the bones are buried what is mark murphy talking about from the packers you, you guys had the story up a little earlier today florio wrote it at pft Mark Murphy says he's, quote, sworn to secrecy on Aaron Rodgers. You run the organization. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I, I think that he understands how big of a uh, elephant dung he stepped in the last <laughs> time he opened his mouth. Yep. So, you know, I mean, that, I think, was a lot of the impetus for why Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee's show last week and said all of the things that he said, you know, and tried to create this sort of – I guess, impression of public pressure on the Packers, because as he said, I mean, I quote this, he, the Packers have dug their heels in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Aaron Rodgers said about trying to get value from him um, when it comes to this trade with the Jets. Now, Aaron Rodgers can say he intends to play for the Jets all he wants, and it's sort of a weird, I don't know, gray area with tampering, I guess, but since the Packers gave the Jets permission mm-hmm. to talk to him, I guess it's kind of not, but yeah, it, it's... Mark Murphy would do better to just be quiet at this point and let Brian Gutekunst do what he needs to do and Joe Douglas do what they need to do and figure this thing out. But, you know, when it comes to, like, leverage and all this stuff, I don't really know who really has more leverage. But what I would say is that the Packers right now have the quarterback that they plan on starting in 2023 in Jordan Love, and the Jets don't. And at some point, the Jets are going to have to acquire him. And I don't really know what that's going to take. Miles, um, my Cowboys, they've cut Zeke, they've lost Schultz, they've added Brandon Cooks, they just added Ronald Jones. Give me your th- early thoughts on my Dallas Cowboys. Um, I mean, this is going to be Mike McCarthy's last stand, right? That's like why that he got <laughs> uh, play calling duties, took him away from Kellen Moore, and Kellen Moore is now out here by me in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Um, so as long as they have Dak Prescott, they should be competitive. I mean, Tony Pollard's been the better running back for them for the last couple of years. So it's no surprise to me that they, ne- that they really moved on from Ezekiel Elliott. And, and, you know, when it comes to running backs – and second contracts is hard enough. Third contracts is damn near impossible, right? And so Zeke has made a lot of money, and you you feel happy for him for that. And, and he can still play. He's got some ability. But 
if I am constructing a team, I don't know that I want to pay Ezekiel Elliott top of the market rate for running back. I, I don't think I would do that. It's honestly, it's the same with Austin Eckler, who I know was talking about things um, on uh, the Greenlight podcast, Chris and um, Kyle Long, you know, where he's basically saying, I'm just trying to maximize my value because I'm severely underpaid. And the problem is, even if he is underpaid, he's not when it comes to all the running backs who are going to be coming into the league. And we know that guys are going to be able to uh, play that position for not a lot of money. So it, it's one of those things. But you asked me about the Cowboys, and I think that the Cowboys can win that division because nobody repeats as division winners in the NFC East. So, I mean, you're looking at the Giants or the Cowboys, I think, heading into this year for who's going to come out on top. I am going to reserve judgment on Jimmy G coming to Las Vegas. It wasn't a move that I was a fan of before it happened. Now I will just reserve judgment because we have to wait to see what happens. But QB2 is gone. I'm not happy about that. Um, Stidham now with the Denver Broncos. But mm-hmm. I read Peter King said that a midseason change could occur. The Broncos might be willing to move on if it's not working. Is Russell Wilson um, actually the hot seat? Oh, hell yeah, he is. Absolutely. <laughs> because, I mean, did you watch last year, Willie? Good Lord. Well, yeah, I but, uh, yeah, guy- but I, I blame a lot of that on Hackett, too. I mean, yeah, some of it's definitely on Hackett, and Hackett is one of the most overwhelmed head coaches that I've ever seen, which also makes this so interesting what um, guys like Alan Lazard and Aaron Rodgers have said about Nathaniel Hackett, you know, being such a great coach and yeah. da 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 I mean, like, I, I, I watched it. He was not a great head coach. He was one of the most unprepared head coaches I've ever seen. But that being said, I think when you have somebody like Sean Payton and they paid him as much as they did um, to come in there and be the head coach of that team, you're not just going to look at Russell Wilson, even though you've guaranteed him X amount of dollars, right? You're not just going to be able to stand pat with him. You don't care. You know, at a certain point, if it's clearly not working, I would move on to Jarrett Stidham, see what you got. And then the year after that, you draft a quarterback or you figure something out in free agency or you figure something out with the trade. There's no point. I mean, it was extremely cost prohibitive to get rid of uh, Russell Wilson, excuse me, after this year, but uh, this year being 2022. But after next year in 2023, if he still stinks up the room, there's no reason for him to be the Broncos quarterback in 2024. It would be a significant cap hit, but it's something that they would be able to spread out. And it's something that I'm sure they would absolutely consider. Miles Simmons, Cofield and Company, giving us a couple minutes like he does every Tuesday in the five o'clock hour. We appreciate that. What I don't uh, totally appreciate is what the Raiders are doing at quarterback. I like <laughs> I like Jimmy G. I still think he was too much money. Um, but I think we all have to fully recognize it. There's a good chance Garoppolo can't play 17 games a year. And I'm kind of wondering if the Raiders have money left for a backup. They don't have money left because a lot of guys are signed elsewhere to be backups, borderline starters. Should I be that concerned? Or are you just going to fire at me like, it doesn't matter if he goes down, they're going to suck. Well, I mean, if he goes down, they're going to suck. But it, they, <laughs> I, they, to me, I think that they are trying to put themselves in position to either get a quarterback at seven if one is still there or if one doesn't arrive and, you know, then they don't pick up somebody like, let's say, Hinden Hooker in the second round, right? Then you at least have Garoppolo who can start for you, right? It's not like 
I don't know, Garoppolo is an incompetent quarterback. He is a competent quarterback. It's just the availability that is always going to be a question with him just based on the way his career has gone. Um, so I, I think that they've set themselves up to where if they do get a rookie quarterback, he doesn't have to play right away. Right. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a, br a bad bridge quarterback, which we saw in the last couple of years with San Francisco, right? But also you know that Jimmy Garoppolo has only stayed healthy for one season in his entire career. Now, that season, the team went to the Super Bowl and could have won if maybe he hit Emmanuel Sanders, but I also think that Patrick Mahomes would have been able to win that game regardless, but that's not the point. Uh, so Garoppolo's fine as a quarterback, but yeah, you, you need somebody else in there that you're either drafting and developing or you're drafting with the idea that they're going to take over for Garoppolo sooner than later. Yeah, I feel like the bridge needs a backup bridge once it has structural issues, and I don't <laughs> want the rookie to be the backup, uh, nor Chase Garbers. But there are names out there. They're not the most sexy names. Like I don't think Matt Ryan's going to sign up to be a backup anywhere. I don't know if Carson uh. Wentz would. But uh, I don't know that they're, they're Ryan still there's football ever again. I'm still, sorry to cut you off, but I just right. I've had enough of Matt Ryan. Holy crap. Every time I hear Matt Ryan's name get brought up in these conversations, I just roll my eyes and I think, oh, my God, did you watch that man play football last year? He is done. And I say that with all due respect to Matt Ryan, who was an MVP. He was very good in the 2016 season. He would have won a Super Bowl if Kyle Shanahan had done some things a little bit differently and Dan Quinn had managed the clock a little bit better. But oh my goodness, hang it up, please, Matt Ryan, and enjoy that $12 million guaranteed that you have coming to you from the Colts because they renegotiated your contract and you were really, really bad last year. He was benched twice once for sam ellinger and once for nick freaking Foles. are we kidding here enough with the matt ryan fired sorry up. who does miles like least princeton or matt ryan jesus oh oh my gosh i mean i'll watch princeton basketball i can't i can't watch matt wow. ryan again i can't how, how I just, awesome would it be this if again. next week nbc and florio come to you and they're like yeah hey, you're gonna do a podcast with matt ryan I'll be fine. Okay. I mean, I, I would be very grateful because it means we could talk football and I wouldn't have to watch him play football. <laughs> All right, Miles. We appreciate it. You might it. not like me very much, though. Hey, before listen, before we let you go, just going to remind next time you come to Vegas, I'm going to take you to a place in Boulder City. It's a historic, world famous breakfast joint, and they have the best Bloody Marys. And it comes Ooh, with a okay. big, thick yeah, slab are. of bacon. Yep. I'm going to hold you to that, Willie. Oh, uh, no problem. I got you. Nice. Miles, Maybe sooner than you think. We appreciate it. Thanks, you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Did I just say thanks, you, buddy? <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't get the Bloody Mary there at that place. I got yeah. the uh, Michelada probably at like 9 o'clock in the morning. It was good. It's, it's world famous. A place, I mean, the lines outside that joint. Got to know people. Got to know someone. Yeah. We got in like that. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Rolling on. Good spot coming up with Paul Gutierrez. You wrote a really interesting story. Paul, of course, from ESPN.com and a UNLV guy. And he wrote a really interesting story about how things have changed for Vegas when it comes to sports. And I'm telling you, folks, the final frontier, like getting VGK here, getting the NFL to chill. We always knew the NFL wants a good share in the profits of gambling. Get some kind of cut. We had a chance to be in as long as we were you know, big enough as a city and if we uh, built them their stadium. But the NCAA was like the really holier-than-thou thing. And they had a 
war with a guy on the ground, Mr. Vegas, for 30 years in Jerry Tarkanian. So that's coming up in just a couple minutes. Giveaway time right now. Speaking of professional sports, Vegas Vipers with another game. They just got their first win. Taking on St. Louis this Saturday. It's a 4 o'clock start. Cashman. It's presented by Finley Toyota. Of course, Finley Toyota celebrating 25 years of service. Four-pack. Four-pack. Ari's going to hook you up with a four-pack. Call her 7364-1100, 364-1100. Go look up the tickets at Cashman. There really isn't a bad seat in the house. Ticketmaster.com. Before we get to Paul, another one of your national days is up. Mm. I, I think they get they get so specific sometimes. Like, we'll have a national cookie day, and then we got, like, a national chocolate chip cookie day. Do we need the specificity of this one? I think Is we do. National Crunchy Taco Day? Well, I think we do because these places, at you know, when you and I were kids, you go to one specific spot and it would it was a, you know, the bell you go is Crunchy Tacos. Hmm. Then all of a sudden, the big fascination was when they came out with soft ones. So yeah, they're they're they they want to differentiate and get. You, are you are you hard or soft, uh, Steve? So I'm not going to bite <laughs> on that one. Uh, that's not. Totally easy because people who actually are restaurants that make like good crunchy tacos, like a deep fried, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is good. But the store bought, I'll say a couple of weeks ago, I had more of the store bought crunchy. Yeah. That were real big in the 80s when most of us, you know, people, especially like the Northeast, we didn't have Mexican food, nothing. No. And that became the craze. So um, I I prefer soft, but if it's a good, like if it's really like a deep fried taco, now, do and you yeah, nice. do you make tacos at home? You and the SO never. Okay, I mean so, we make tacos, but not we don't go out of the way and. Okay, so because there are, you know there are ways you have to do it. So first of all, if you buy the the shells, pre made shells, you have to heat them in the oven so they're biteable, whatever. Now, if you get the some people will get the tortillas and then they'll just fold them and make soft ones. I personally, if I'm going to eat them, like to put a little bit of oil in the pan, get the flour tortilla, and then fry the actual tortilla so you're making a crispy one but i don't but i want to make it right. out of the raw one rather than get the buy the crispy now it doesn't mean that i don't buy the crispy so what's ones, the answer i i prefer crunchy tacos oh really i like the crunch okay uh, if here's the thing here's, here's the thing it's kind of like the argument with the with the wings right the there's the big lawsuit on the boneless wings that there's boneless wings are not boneless wings uh, chicken pieces they're chicken nuggets yeah. a little better than chicken nuggets a soft taco is just an unsealed burrito. Okay. End of story. I'm learning things here. End of story. Do you want to go get dollar tacos tonight? Two dollar tacos tonight? It's Taco Tuesday. I can't. Why not? Well, first you of all, you always have something to do, and it is late. Once six o'clock, six o'clock. Well, hits, I'm on. Done. I got 51 days left oh, that's of, right. of, of the this, of the program. This, this, this old guy thing. Well, no, I'm just doing a health kick thing. When's your birthday, fat guy? Um, and when's your birthday? My birthday's in May, okay, but so I have a, I also months, have a birthday. Months older than me. I, during the break, I made a phone call. I have to go pick up a birthday package. I have a special birthday to celebrate tonight. By the way, we yesterday yesterday uh, we found out that you you can't call basketball players the little kid. Why? So so Rick Pitino had done that to the uh, the small guard on Kansas State. I was calling him little kid. Do we just allow? Hey, fat guy. We just allow that to, to is that going to be part of the regular vernacular here in Cofield and Company? Earlier today, you you called yourself when we wanted to t- about the temperature in here, and you're like, I know, just say it, the fat guy. 
<laughs> we'd, we'd, well, Ari came in blaming the temperature. Like, the guy who came in, like, he has say over the friggin' temperature in here. He's not in here! No, that's a little kid on the on the board. Oh. <laughs> Can't call him a little kid. I just did. Yeah, nothing's happened. So once five seconds goes by, that's it. He doesn't say anything. That's it. All right, Gutierrez coming up on how Vegas has won over the NCAA, kind of. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. You're listening to Cofield and Company. Live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, time to talk about what really is a massive story. And I think we all, we get to a point where we're desensitized and we kind of normalize things. The regional being here with the NCAA tournament is incredible. Based on what we all went through, not like we endured anything, but, you know, some 30 and 35 years ago, Willie knows this. Paul Gutierrez knows this. He wrote a great story on ESPN.com. Paul, how you doing, buddy? What's going on, guys? How you doing? Really good. This story you wrote is awesome. And for people around the country to give them the information, um, it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel like it's that long ago, but it is, and Man, there was some crazy stuff going on in the past. If you want to explain it to uh, the Vegas audience here, of just how bad our relationship was with the NCAA, and so much of it was focused on Tark v. NCAA. Yeah, I'll tell you what, guys. It, it was so long ago that this is when Willie and I actually had a class together. Charlie Zobel was teaching media ethics, I believe, uh, on the campus of UNLV. And, uh, I don't know. Obviously, I failed that class. Us, but it was media ethics. So. <laughs> how long ago it was? But but when you look at the history of Sports in Las Vegas, and, and Willie, I'm sure, would agree with this. It, it wasn't that long ago when UNLV men's basketball, the Running Rebels, were literally the only show in town. Yeah, the Stars were playing baseball in the spring and summer, but year-round it was all Rebels all the time. And the legendary battles that Jerry Tarkanian had with the NCAA that he brought with him from Long Beach State when he came to Vegas in 1973 continued forever. And the fact that at that point in time, UNLV – and, and Jerry Tarkanian in particular, Las Vegas in general, was the center of the NCAA's ire and was seemingly coming after them all the time to, and again, 30 years is a long time, but when you think about it in terms of just humans, it's only one generation ago that the NCAA has gone from targeting, in their eyes and in their opinion, targeting UNLV in Vegas to now embracing it. It's kind of mind-blowing, and, and it, it makes all the sense in the world when you see the, all the professional teams that are coming, the general acceptance of sports gaming and gambling uh, by everybody. And the way I kind of put it is, is I, I kind of quote the godfather here. Everybody's able to kind of dip their beak a little bit into the pool and, and get paid a little bit, and everything's good with it. So being able to talk to Anderson Hunt, who was the final four most outstanding player, just went in the UNLV Hall of Fame last year, get his sense on it. Uh, George Tarkadian talked about what his dad would do uh, if he was alive to see all these tournaments come into town now and, and uh, the NCAA embrace in Vegas, and as well as Dave Rice, who was on that championship team in 90 and also coached and saw the transformation uh, uh, firsthand. So, so it was a labor of love to kind of do this kind of a story, but it also makes you kind of gnash your teeth a little bit too if you're a fan of UNLV and, and an alum as well. Speaking with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Um, so, Paul, let me ask you this, because a lot of people don't understand. We know the powerful machine that the NC2A is, but because of that and how public that became, we know that the NFL wasn't allowing 
television commercials on the Super Bowl, what, within the last 10 years. There was it, there was no way the NFL was coming. The NBA cringed when they thought of the coming here, although uh, Oscar Goodman ushered in the All-Star game. It just was so taboo. How much of the NC2A's disdain for Las Vegas played an influence on the pro leagues for so long? I don't know if that was kind of the, the chicken and the egg situation there um, in terms of the NCAA having a disdain because of all of those other things. But I do believe, and in, in talking to sources for the story, pro sports coming to Vegas and, you know, kind of jumping into the game, the sports gaming aspect of things, that make it, made it more palatable for the NCAA. The NCAA didn't comment for the story. They basically said I should talk to the different conferences <laughs> as to why they're coming into town now. So, okay, well, that's fine. Cause, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't expect anybody to really say anything on that side of things either anyway. Um, but what's interesting about the story, too, is that, like I said, it was 30 years ago. It was only one generation ago. But the city has changed so much, and it's such a transient community that you've got a lot of people here that don't know the history, the sporting history especially, of what the Rebels meant to that town. And now when you look at it, you've got three things that are at play here for, for in my opinion, and in talking to sources, what made this happen is you have the acceptance of, of gaming. You have pro sports coming to town, whether it's the Raiders, the Golden Knights, the Aces winning the WNBA title, the global popularity really of USC, which is based in, in Las Vegas, but also the downfall of UNLV as a national power. Yep. Still a Division One program, still bring a lot of, you know, some... Uh, People want their swag that has Rebels on and stuff, but they're not the national power they used to be. So if they're just kind of an afterthought, then that makes it kind of this perfect storm for the NCAA to come in. And, you know, really, we've talked about this before. When we were in school or the first few years out of school, there is no way you could ever imagine any other college basketball team coming to town to play a game yep. unless they were either playing the Rebels or part of a doubleheader that had the Rebels as the, as the co-headliner let alone you got UCLA, Kentucky, Kansas, Carolina, whoever coming into town and playing their own games at, at uh, different arenas. That never would have happened. So that, again, just shows you not necessarily a lack of respect, but how things in the, the landscape have just really changed. Yeah, and to that, they started doing non-conference tournaments here in Vegas, but people forget they weren't always immediately at the Orleans. They didn't want them there because of the casino. They st- those tournaments that you see in November and December, they started at Valley High School. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't yeah. want they didn't yeah. want kids walking through casinos. Yeah, and that was the other thing too. I remember being in high school still when when I had initially applied to come to UNLV. There's a huge article in Sports Illustrated. I want to say this is like winter of '87. That's when the huge winter basketball high school tournaments were in Vegas. Reebok. And SI did this huge thing, and you see the high school kids walking up and down the strip. It's like <laughs> it was so taboo, and now it's so accepted, and and, and just you know. Things change, and it's you know nothing about gaming has changed. It's just the acceptance of it, I believe. Well, let's uh, address your part of the story where you talk about the takedown of the UNLV program by the NCAA. I loved your Dave Rice note. Yeah, and, and that's the interesting thing about it from from Dave's perspective is that he, you know he and, and uh, Larry Johnson were the only two players right. on that championship team that did not uh, serve at least one game. Uh, suspension during that season and Dave told me well that's probably because Larry and I were the only two new guys on that roster the NCAA had been going after them so hard that they found something I mean talking to Anderson Hunt he couldn't remember why he got suspended he just remembered that he got a phone call in his hotel room at 7 a.m. telling him he could not play that night at Temple and he told me it just pissed him off because he always wanted to play in the spectrum and again that just transforms you and takes you back to the time of when guys want to play in Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, the spectrum, the forum 
you know, iconic venues, and he couldn't play there. He talked about Stacey Ogden literally getting yanked off a plane before they took off to go play LSU on Super Bowl weekend in 1990. So every player on that roster uh, that they won the title when they went 35-5 and five, mm. uh, served at least a one-game suspension except for Dave and Larry Johnson. Every college athlete in the country who's benefiting from NIL needs to read the story and realize that Tark was a big part of the reason why this is happening. And that's what George told me. He said, you know, and that's the thing that I was interested in, was getting his take. And, and you know, if anybody's going to speak for, for Jerry now after he's passed for a few years, it would be his own family members. And, and George, I asked him, point blank, you know, how, how would your dad respond to this? And I know the way I set the story up, as you could imagine, the statue in front of Thomas and Max standing up, slapping its forehead in disbelief of everything that's going on. But he said his dad would feel vindicated, but not vindictive. He would actually feel proud of Las Vegas being accepted and, you know, feeling good about it because of everything that Las Vegas offers as an ultimate destination. Dave Rice pointed out, I said, look, it's not just the NCAA tournament. The Super Bowl is coming next year. And as you pointed out earlier, Willie, who would have ever thought that, considering 10 years ago, Vegas couldn't even get a commercial on Super Bowl Sunday because of the gaming aspect. Yeah, and you speak about Jerry Tarkanian. When he went on to coach at Fresno State, here's the thing. He could have had all the animosity in the world. He could have been vindictive. He could have turned his nose up. But the thing is, there were times he still got emotional when he spoke about his times and what he built here in UNLV. And not just the program, but the community itself, because it was the only, like you said, it was the only show in town. Baseball's baseball. The uh, the Stars, the 51s, the Aviators, we all love Don Logan. But the show, the the entertainment value, it was UNLV basketball. Yeah, and when you talk about a Rebel basketball game back then, it, it was, like you said, the only show in town. That you talk to the players from that era, and they wouldn't know who would show up and be sitting on Gucci Row. As, as Tark himself said, it was harder to get a ticket on Gucci Row than it was to get a, a ticket to a Frank Sinatra show that night. Yep. And, yeah, he did have Frank Sinatra make a couple calls <laughs> to try to recruit for him, too. So a lot of these things turned off the rest of the country, and it was kind of seen as, oh, that's kind of strange, and what's really going on out there? I'm not here to say they were clean or dirty. I'm just saying that they were just doing things that other major colleges in, in uh, the United States were doing at that time. Um, it's just people, you know, for me, I'm always a big believer in learn your history, know your history, and uh, otherwise you're doomed to repeat it. I, I think you and Ellie would love to repeat this on-court success they had at that point in time anyway. Uh, and speaking of learning history, very recent history that I think people have kind of filed away or really never paid attention to, you shouted out Jim Livengood and so did Dave Rice. I think that's really important. Yeah, because he was the guy that a lot of people that I talked to for this story pointed at. He's the one that actually lobbied the most to have uh, different tournaments come to town for the NCAA to come and you know break bread and see, hey, look, Vegas actually has world-class hotels, world-class restaurants, world-class venues. And uh, they started when they tried to do, which was kind of a funny deal, but it was a, it lasted for a year or two, the, the Vegas 16, I believe, was the postseason yep. tournament. Yep. And that got people to come to town and take a look and, and see it. So, again, the fact that you got five conferences holding their tournaments in town, you got the West Regional Final coming to town this weekend with, as I mentioned in the story, a longtime Tarkanian nemesis, UCLA as the headliner, so to speak, and then the daddy of them all coming in 2028, the Final Four. It's just stunning to me as someone who was in school at UNLV in the early 90s to see this. Because I remember being my mind being blown when the Big West tournament came in 1994, because I was like, how in the world is the NCAA allowing this? <laughs> yeah. And as, a, as somebody told me at the time, I said, hey, uh, you know, people learn, people grow, and, and that's what Dave Rice told me about his time, and Living Good, who hired him at UNLV, was they were actually, they were able to get that message across to the powers that be that, 
look at the potential here. It's it's a family destination. It's got this, that, and the other. And as Dave told me, you know, he speaks from experience because he still lives here and he still has his family here. Go to ESPN.com. Check out the story Paul Gutierrez on the NCAA and Vegas and a lot of UNLV stuff in there. Let's close on this one. Um, any early impressions from first exposure to QB1, new leader of the Raiders, Jimmy G? Uh, he likes to wear black, so that was a yep. positive, I guess. <laughs> Even though he said his grandparents always told him to bet on red, then he caught himself, oh, no, 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 black. I was like, okay. So I guess I have to use the Wesley Snipes Passenger 57 gift, uh, always bet on black. But, um, no, I, I think it's just a good fit. And I've I, I joked this about Willie. The question people really want to ask, the real question is, is he a better fit? Is he an upgrade in this system from Derek? Not, not is he a better quarterback than Derek, but in this system. And I believe he is because he knows it. He has a previous relationship with Josh McDaniels. He's going to have to relearn it, like, like we're learning to ride a bike again. But there's already a built-in relationship between the two, a mutual admiration and respect that Derek and Josh kind of butted heads a little bit throughout the year and, and you know, put their best foot forward. But they're already starting two steps ahead of where they were with Derek last year. And we saw that with Jared Stidham looking more comfortable and confident in the system in two starts than Derek did in the previous 15. Mr. Gutierrez, I appreciate you coming on and joining us today. I will see you soon. Uh, Paul Gutierrez, ESPN. I've retweeted the story. It's up on ESPN, so make sure you check it out. Paul, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, guys. Hey, and I also found some old stuff on when UNLV and Tarts last year lost at Rutgers. I'm wondering if a certain somebody was at that game. <laughs> I was. It was actually one of the greatest games I've ever been at. So I've talked about that before. <laughs> it was you know what because it was like UNLV was for us. It was still UNLV even though it was. Boney and Ryder and Elmore Spencer, the yeah. the the arena was so friggin' loud. Um, yeah, I could talk about that all day, but no one in Vegas cares, and it's just kind of rubbing it in. But yes, Paul, good I research, th- Paul. Paul, I think you and I were at Shark Club that night. <laughs> okay, uh, I can either confirm or deny. Thanks, <laughs> there he is, Paul Gutierrez. Yes, I was at that game. I don't think I I don't think I was on the call because I did play by play at our student station. We've talked about it before. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think. I was just a fan, uh, but yeah, it was loud and and like we talked about three hours ago, yeah, everyone in the country knew who UNLV was. Um, I don't think I got the significance of what was going on with the NCAA at the time. You know, now you look back at it like it's a couple of years later. Like yeah. you, you didn't give a chance for a team to to continue to try to you know play for national championships. And like Paul said, and you know now now we look back on it. Um, what the NCAA was doing was selective enforcement, and that was one of the lines. I think George Sarkanian used it, you know, saying his his dad was just he just kind of wanted to prove the point. Like you can't just come after us, right? When we're doing what it takes to play with the big boys, everyone's doing what. I mean, I've talked about it a lot recently, right? I have no idea what Gonzaga does, but I know this: Gonzaga beats out Arizona and UCLA and powers in the Big Ten for players. How do you think they're doing that? Right. Right? We're going toe-to-toe with Arizona and Oregon to get players. What do they do? Well, we got to do the same thing, and that's that's what UNLV was doing. And by the way, the NC2A doesn't do what it does, and Jerry Tarkanian doesn't get pushed out. We could go back down a laundry list of players that were coming to Las Vegas, and that dynasty would have been ridiculous. He said it in the story. He said they were in on Ed O'Bannon. I mean, I think O'Bannon was coming. Sean Jason Tarver, Kidd. Jason Kidd, Jalen Rose has talked Tracy about the Murray. fact that he was considering that UCLA it dynasty or that that Herrick had they that was UNLV's. So, <laughs> I love the, the frustration. That should have been ours here. That's right, Herrick. 
Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, just talking to Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com, Raiders writer, but also a UNLV guy, wrote a really good story about the softening of the NCAA stance and where things have come over 30 years to have a West Regional in Vegas. And Willie and I are big college basketball fans from you know the, the 80s and the 90s. And I thought one of the best parts of the story was about you know Tark's fight all the time against you know selective enforcement. And the NCAA, when you, you think about it, Willie was just talking about the players that UNLV was in on because they didn't traditionally you know, get the top 25 guys, right? Mm-hmm. And now they were in a position to get – they were in with all those guys. You named a bunch of them earlier. So yeah, it was he, Ed O'Bannon. It was Sean Tarver. It was Jason Kidd. It was some of the Fab Five guys. Maybe Sean Kemp they were in on. But then the funny thing is you start thinking about the schools they went to, right? Mm-hmm. And Cal eventually was gotten. Campanelli then, uh, why am I blanking on his last name? Todd, whatever. Um, Michigan was gotten at some point. Kentucky, they took the whole freaking program down with Eddie Sutton. But then there's the selective enforcement thing. Then there was, wait, North Carolina and Duke didn't get dinged? How? And that that's the whole point, right? And that's what, that's what Tark complained about with Arizona. That's what Tark certainly complained about going back to Long Beach State and Wooden onto the next coaches at UCLA where they had a system of paying guys. They didn't want to take they didn't want to step on their poster boys, yep. if you will. Duke, North Carolina and, and Duke, you know, Duke was the poster boy. I mean, remember, if you watch the documentary on the run of Rebels and more stuff on yeah. Duke from those years, Duke yeah. was doing the same exact thing to get players, but somehow Duke were the good guys right. and Michigan and UNLV were the bad guys. Yeah. Come on. They didn't. They the UNLV was definitely the bad guys. They they didn't like the, you know, the the, the Sin City, yep. the vibe, you know. They didn't like Jerry Tarkanian, and they wanted. They had to make an example out of somebody, and and that's how they did it by like as you said, mm-hmm. selective discipline, and that was who they chose. And eventually, they were taken to court, and they had to pay. Yep, Jerry had Tarkanian about settlement. two point two point five million dollars. Yeah, so. That era, the other like crazy thing to get into. The other crazy thing to get into is this movie Air that's coming out. Yeah. Right? Around Nike and Jordan and Sonny Vaccaro. Are you I'm hyped about it. I'm totally hyped about it. I'm hyped about it because I met Sonny Vaccaro when he brought Adidas here to uh, and he told me personally for a story I did for USA Today that he was bringing the big time tournament at the time. Because he wanted to put Nike out of business. Not the company, but the Nike tournament right. that he helped evolve from when the original summer tournament was like four teams and six teams from the original guys in town. Ron Montoya, John Farrell, who left Vegas, went to San Diego, Larry McKay, Jim Allen. They put the summer circuit together. Vaccaro brings Nike to Las Vegas. So on the herd, he talked about going to the premiere. I want you to listen to a couple of these bites because I was, I was driving around today. I'm like, I don't know if this is completely on point. Uh, so LeBron and Michael, the two best basketball players I've ever seen. But I will say this. Michael Jordan's more interesting than LeBron James. That 10-part documentary on Michael Jordan, fascinating. The movie last night, fascinating. And I believe the reason is athletes today, they give too much of themselves. 
They've got brands. I know where they stand on vaccines and politics. I know their family, what they eat, where they travel, what they fly. I didn't with Michael Jordan. You don't have to show me what you're eating for lunch on Twitter. You really don't. Mystery is powerful. Okay. I get that. I don't agree with everything he said. Give me the second one. And that's why as we keep peeling back layers and layers and layers of Michael Jordan, they're all interesting. Michael Jordan kept to himself in his hotel room, smoking a cigar, taking a nap, watching TV. He didn't want to be bothered. Michael was insanely private, and it makes him fascinating now. Okay. He may have been insanely private in terms of keeping things quiet, but if you think Michael Jordan spent his time in his hotel room smoking cigars and watching TV, I was like, what are you talking about, Colin? I think Colin's awesome, but are you nuts? You're right. Michael Jordan is more interesting. He lived a life. I think LeBron probably is pretty boring a lot of the times. But Uh, MJ sat in his room. I don't know about that. Yeah, well, I can't wait for LeBron's 10-part series when he retires.